gifting and uh, one of those people we've been working with and bringing along is Timothy and he's going to come and share out of Psalm 2 for us this morning. Would you give him a warm welcome? Oh. I love this guy so much and uh, so I'm going to pray for you Timothy. Can I do that? Timothy always, when he wears a collared shirt, always has it done up the top button. Very distinctive. Always smart, Timothy. Always smart. Should we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Timothy. Thank you for your word, God, more than that. Thank you, Lord God. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. If ever there is a season, Lord, where we need you to lead us in the way that we should go, to, to shine a light on our path, it's now, right? So, Lord, we pray that you bless Timothy and enable him to open up your word to us today and that we might uh, know how to respond to it in, uh, as a group of people, as a gathering, but also, Lord God, as people in our everyday lives. Lord God, help us to follow you more intimately and more closely. We pray in your wonderful name. Amen. Thanks, Simon. Um... Simon's always coming to hang on my shirts, and um, we actually have like a shared um, navy polo shirt. <laughs> not, 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 not the same shirt, but um, the identical shirt. Yeah, um, but yeah, maybe you'll catch us wearing the same shirt one day. Yeah. Um, thanks very much for the privilege coming here today. I'm Timothy. Um, you might know me from Kids Zone. Um, we have a bit of fun at Kids Zone. Um, I thought. I bring some of that fun here. Who would like a joke? Yes. Yes, okay. Who is familiar with why did the chicken cross the road? Yeah. Right, hopefully that lowers your expectations now. <laughs> now, this is a, like a, t- a two-part version of this joke. Um, so, would, I might need a volunteer. Um, if, if you're you know, brave enough to be a volunteer, do you want to put your hand up? Oh, Yukio, come on. Do you want to come up? Thanks. Um, you have to kind of, um, you kind of just have to play along. It's, it'll be really easy, but I can't do it without you. So, why did the chicken cross the road? Just, just say why. Why? <laughs> um, because the really speedy and dangerous car uh, broke down. And so it was safe to cross the road. I forgot to tell you guys, I'm talking about royal psalms today. <laughs> so like, you know, like, you know, about kings and royalty and things like that. I just realised I needed to say that for the punchline. <laughs> How can you say, why did, the, why did the car break down? Why did the car break down? Why did the car break down? Because it ran out of motor oil. Get it? Motor oil? Royal psalms? <laughs> Can we give Yukio a clap, thanks? Um, so, yeah, my wife Andrea asked me if I really was sure I wanted to do a joke because it might not be funny. But I told her, look, the bar's really low now, so you might hear something later in this message and be like, oh, that's much better than that joke, so, Yeah. Um, so, yeah, today we're talking about um, royal psalms. Um, you might remember that um, there's been a series across the last few weeks about psalms, and within that series, um, we've had 
few different topics. We started with Psalm 1 with an introduction to Psalms. We had um, praise, lamenting, thanksgiving, wisdom, uh, trust was last week, and this week is royal. Um, so, yeah, so getting right into it, royal psalms, um, they're, what is a royal psalm? They're, they're actually written, by, uh, written for kings, and they can be a coronation song, a wedding song, and they can be prayers for kings. For kings and they can be messianic. Um, and so, um, yeah, basically the psalmist writing psalms for, for kings, for Israelite kings throughout the course of, of you know, all of the psalms. And, and so they can be quite um, different from the other psalms and often they can, be, they can be messianic and by messianic the meaning is basically, you know, points to Jesus, points to the Messiah. You can't talk about royal psalms without thinking about, about kings, about their sovereignty, and also about God's sovereignty, and that's the messianic part, because often the psalmist will be writing this for a king, but it'll be pointing to Jesus. Um, oh. You do this really well, Simon. I just shake my phone and it rotates and then goes away. Um, so, yeah, royal psalms aren't as famous as other parts of the Bible, I don't think. Um, you know, it's not, it's not like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. It's not like the Gospels, where it's, you know, super useful, you're learning about the life of Jesus, and it's not, you know, it's not like, it doesn't have the fantastical images of revelations or um, the story of creation like Genesis. Um, but... So they're maybe not so convenient when we're reading through them and you're thinking about, oh, you know, how does this apply for me? Um, but a good thing to note is that they're written for kings. And so the question arises, what's God's intention for us and for me, you know, when I'm reading the psalm? And for us today, you know, um, so today's psalm, we're going into Psalm 2. And um, yeah, if you have a Bible, why don't you flip? To it as well, it's on the screen, we could just read it together, I'll, I'll, I'll read it, um, and here goes, why do the nations conspire in the people's plot in vain, the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, um, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles, the one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at them, he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. I will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Um, so, just to, for some context, Psalm 2 is actually about the coronation of an Israelite king. So, you know, they're basically crowning a king, 
um, to become a king of Israel. And it's written by David. Uh, some sources say that, you know, not source, you know, people, some say that it could have been written for, from David for Solomon, his son. Um, but either way, it's for crowning an Israelite king in a coronation song. Um, I don't know about you, but reading through all that, <laughs> the first thing that comes to my mind is, man, some of these verses, um, they kind of elicit feelings of discomfort for me. You know, it's not like the words are all very positive and happy and, and promisey, if you know what I mean. You know, the word wrath comes up a couple of times. Destruction and fear comes up. Verse 9 says, you will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. It's like, wow. Um, what does that even mean um, in my context? And so, I don't know about you, but my mind, when I read through these kind of verses in the Bible, I often, you know, if I'm not really paying attention, I'll just skip through them, you know, and focus on the positive stuff like verse 6 says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. You know, it's so much easier to think about these positive things as opposed to the kind of really scary, often violent imagery, yeah. Um, and so as I was pondering about this and thinking about, well, you know, why is this here? You know, what, what does it mean in the context of royal psalms? Um, it just reminds me of how royalty and, and sovereignty it's, it's actually quite uncomfortable. You know, it reminds us of systems of rulership. You know, you can't talk about sovereignty and royalty without talking about kings, about leaders and, and rulership. It reminds us of rules and consequences. There's, um, there's human sovereignty. There are kings, queens, emperors. In today's context, you know, there'll be presidents, prime ministers, things like that. And then there's Sovereignty with often in the Bible with a big S, which is the sovereignty of God. Um, and I think even though in our heads we know that you know the sovereignty of God is you know perfect, but both can be quite uncomfortable, earthly sovereignty and heavenly sovereignty. And so why is this? I think it's because it might be because sovereignty demands um, submission and obedience, and conformity to a, to, to a certain type of governance. Um, yeah, and I don't know about you, but you know, when you hear the words submission and obedience and conformity, wow, it's like it's really in your face, in my face. So that's the discomfort, and it's hard to deal with. It forms a structure where there is someone more powerful than us, it's hard to trust another human being to have a whole lot of power over a whole lot of people. And it can also be hard trusting God as our sovereign king, especially if you don't quite understand his intentions at every step and his intentions at, yeah, for, for us individually, collectively, that kind of thing. Um, and in God's sovereignty, he can allow trials to come to us, but he can also just as easily in his grace, rescue us from, from despair. He can heal us from as we go through suffering and things like that. So that's like the magnitude of, of, of sovereignty, I think, that God is huge, he's in control, and, he, and, and things happen. Um, 
And yeah, it's this aspect of sovereignty that's, that's so much bigger than ourselves. Um, and before we go further into that, I just wanted to um, point out that, you know, so in today's passage, there, there are actually connections with the New Testament where um, believers in the New Testament have referred back to Psalm 2. And you see um, on the screen there, Acts 4, verse 25 to 26, that's referring to when um, Peter, and, Peter and John, um, they'd just healed a lame beggar and they'd just been preaching to, or telling people about Jesus and his resurrection and had been taken to the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin all basically sent them to, to jail for a night. Then they came out of jail and they got told off by the Sanhedrin to say, don't talk about Jesus again. And then they went back to the believers and the believers all quoted or cited um, Psalm 2. And they were talking about... Um, Psalm 2, verses 1 to 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. So they were saying that this is happening. You know, Jesus is the anointed and that the leaders and the rulers of the world are banding together against the Lord. And so this was significant to them. And... Um, and also points to the Messianic nature of that psalm. In Hebrews 1 verse 5, um, the author of Hebrews talks about um, verse 7. And um, he talks about how the, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And the Hebrew writer um, expresses that this is an example of um, Jesus as God's begotten son. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, so that's kind of like the, the prophetic nature of that psalm, tying between the time when David wrote it and the time when the Hebrews writer was talking about it and when the disciples were, were um, going about their business in Acts. And I think that reminds us that there's a certain meaning for us in our time today as well. You know, um, centuries have passed and times have changed, but some things have not changed. Um, and so I guess what I'm trying to say is what the, you know, when you think about psalms and what the point of this type of psalm is, royal psalms, and particularly Psalm 2 in particular, um, you know, you might wonder what the point is, and that's what I was, you know, wrestling with as well. You know, some psalms are pretty easy. You, the ones we've looked through in the last previous weeks, often there, there's like quite a tangible um, output. You know, you might be doing Thanksgiving, you might be lamenting, um, might be reminding you to trust in the Lord. Whereas royal psalms, it's like, oh, it's written for kings. I'm not a king. You're not a king. Let's just skip over it. But actually, it, it, it points to something deeper about God's sovereignty. And I think it asks me and asks us the question of, so God is king. What does that mean for us in our lives? Um, how are we submitting to his rule? Um, yeah, so royal psalms are for earthly kings, but also point us to the ideal king, our king who sits in heaven and the one who rules perfectly. Recognizing God's sovereignty in royal psalms is recognizing him in 
I think, in the humbling episodes of our lives, recognizing him when we are in failure or when we're wrong, or when we realize over and over again that we don't have quite the full control over our circumstances that we would have liked, and realizing that God is sovereign and that God is in control and he's got, he's got a plan for us. Um, when David asks in verse 1 and 2 of this passage, why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? Kings, and, kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. Um, I think there's an acknowledgement of being attacked on all sides. So things felt challenging, out of control. But David goes on to say in verse 4 that the one enthroned in heaven laughs. And um, that's a bit of imagery he uses. And he's talking about um, how God's mighty power exceeds the powers of this world. The powers of this world, you know, tries to surround us. And often your circumstances might feel like it's surrounding you. But God, you know, it's just it's kind of like a parent watching a child um, struggle a little bit and thinking, oh, it is really frustrating, but actually it's really easy. I don't know if you heard during the service while Simon was praying, um, our, my toddler, um, Talitha, was just you know, making a lot of noise. And she was, it was actually because she was trying to stick her arm into her cardigan, but it had like, twisted like twice behind her back or something like that. And she was just really frustrated. And I was just thinking, man, that's so easy to fix as an adult. But as a child, it's like her world is ending. <laughs> um, and I think that's a bit of a reflection on um, um, what it's like when sometimes our lives are a bit out of control. But in God's eyes, you know, that's in verse 4 it says, the Lord laughs because it's easy um, for him. Um, and so, yeah, so talking about sovereignty... You know, David recognizes God's sovereignty and the hope that comes with it in his circumstances. Um, so there's this story, wee story that I would like to share, and it's a part of my life where God's um, sovereignty and hope has shown itself quite prominently over and over again. And it's just, it's about my relationship with my dad. Um, starts off, you know, early days, you know, I was maybe eight or nine, and my parents um, separated and eventually divorced. And then somehow... Um, within all that, you know, my parents had put me at that time in a, in a private kind of Presbyterian school. And through that school, it was, you know, the first time I learned about Jesus through Christian education class. And I learned about um, praying and things like that. So I don't think I even, I don't even, I wasn't Christian, but I just, at that point in my life, I was just like, wow. I can pray about this. And so I remember every night praying for my parents to um, get back together, you know, for the arguments to kind of just resolve themselves and things to be fixed. Um, and that reminded, reminded me that God was in control. And in, that mo- in those moments when as a nine-year-old kid I couldn't do anything, you know, like all I could do was in my own space, in my own time, before bedtime, pray about this and yeah I did that for a, for about a year or something like that and yeah it's kind of like that just aligns to verse 2 that the, you know when the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together when you feel like things are out of your control you know the enemy is surrounding 
that we can rely on God and, and that God's in control and our royal king is in control. Um, later on in my life, I, you know, a couple of years later, I joined um, a youth group and I hadn't thought about God for a couple of years. And um, at youth group, I just grew um, more and more um, in my relationship with God and I gave my life to him when I was about 16 or something like that. Then I did a lot of helping and volunteering at, at church and things like that. And there was this one time when dad, his um, business was um, really uh, not doing so well. He's going into liquidation and things like that. And he really needed my help with something. And, you know, here's, an, here's, a, here's a man who's, you know, reached the point where um, this, these circumstances has come knocking on his door. And he needed my help, you know, to, to, to help him sort a few things out while he was overseas. And um, funny me, you know, I think at this point I was 20 or something like that, you know, being a zealous youth, um, I just said to him, no, look, I've got too much stuff with church, too much this and that. And, um, yeah, so I basically just um, said, no, I can't do it. And, um, you know, I don't know if you can sense the kind of like the, the intricacies in that. You know, on one hand, it's like I could have helped him and that would have been, I'm, I'm a great, you know, support for him. And it's, kind of, it's a great witness as well. And on the other hand, in my 20-year-old mind as a new Christian, I just thought, oh, no, that, you know, God's work is really important. And so I think in any circumstance, you could have seen this in, in either way. You know, either way I, I, I did it, it could have been good. Um, but I, went, I chose to go that way, and I felt like God was wanting me to go that way. And in response, my dad actually said to me, oh, well, you're not my son anymore, and just hung up the phone. And for a month, we didn't talk. That was scary. And, you know, I'm not going about advocating that you should just never support your parents or anything like that. But um, that, was, that was God's sovereignty for me in that moment. That was me um, following my king. Um, and there have been moments, you know, in the last decade where I've really supported, felt called to support dad, and that's been really good. But that moment, that was just something. And then that whole month, I was wondering, wow, Lord, what do you want from me? Like, <laughs> um, this is pretty bad. And, um, but then the amazing thing is, a month later, uh, Rachel, his, um, his new, um, so he'd re- he had remarried at this point. Um, his wife called me, and she had never called me at this point. They'd only been you know, together for a year. And she called me privately, and she said, did you know that last night, and I know you guys haven't talked for a month, but last night these people came to our door and told us about Jesus, and we gave our lives to Jesus. And I, yeah, I just thought that was hilarious. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and yeah, it's just an example of God's sovereignty in my life. Previous to that, I'd tried to tell my dad about Jesus, you know, wrote letters to him and things like that. He just ignored me. But it took something like this to turn him around to, to God. Um, yeah, and I think... God just works in wondrous ways. I mean, he never answered my prayer to, to bring him and mum back together. 
but instead um, he brought this out of this this remarriage. Um, my stepmother has become kind of like the driving force between behind them coming to Christ and going to church and things like that. She's the one encouraging it. So, so yeah. So it's it's kind of mysterious and wonderful and and um, uncertain at the same time, and that's the discomfort in it, I think. Um, yeah, and nowadays, um, again, God's sovereignty. Dad's got Parkinson's, and um, you know conditions are getting a bit, you know, um, tricky. Um, and he's not going to church as much now. He's um, yeah, so he's on his own journey with the Lord. And um, I think just from these experiences in the past, God's been really telling me this year, over this year, especially during lockdown, um, and. We've not been able to go visit him in Taiwan. Just give it to him. He's the king that's in control. He's the king that, you know, even if you make right decisions or wrong decisions or you think this is, you know, God ultimately is our hope and, and he'll look after it. And so, yeah, I think God is in total control. We need to do our bit, but the comfort is that he's got our back. You could almost say that the comfort we have as Christ followers, especially when reading through royal psalms and things like that, is in the discomfort of sovereignty, that we're asked to submit to the rule of Christ. Um, you know, it was pretty hard saying no to my dad when I was 20. Um, and, you know, if I was in my mid-30s like now, I probably would have just said yes <laughs> now. Um, but in that discomfort, in that submission, God brought something good out of it. And I think it's hard, um, reading through all sounds and that all that discomfort is hard submitting to humans because humans are fallible. But when we submit to our unfallible God, which is what you know um, this messianic psalm points to, to Jesus. Um, even when the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together, he looks after us and he's our refuge. Um, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, um, Jesus talks about his yoke. He talks about taking his yoke upon us and learning from him. And he says, I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that for me is a powerful imagery of of, of a yoke, you know, the yoke is it's over here somewhere. I mean, hopefully none of us have worn a yoke before. Or but anyway, um, but that's a powerful imagery because he's talking about this yoke is us, you know, tying ourselves with him, but his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And I think finally with Royal Psalms, it, talks, it, it, it points towards hope. In the final verse, uh, verse 12, we read that um, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Um, the coronation song of David finishes off with a call to hope, a call for, for all, um, for kings, um, to take refuge in him. Um, and I think, um, I don't know if you heard last week, but just want to give a shout out to Dan who was speaking last week about trust. And one of his verses really resonated with me, and it links to so, um, sovereignty and royalty. Uh, it's from Psalm 73, verse 
28. And it was this. It was, um, but as for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. I think, I was, I was just thinking, wow, you know, God is sovereign. He knows everything. He, everything's in his power. And um, he's also our refuge, and that's the promise. Um, yeah, and as, um, as I you know, come to understanding this real psalm, the questions come up for me, and they revolve around things like, you know, when was the last time I actively sought refuge in God? And when did I pray with him with all that I could? And when did I last take comfort in knowing that he's, is, he's sovereign, he's in control, he's got it all sorted? You know, it's easy to just kind of try not to think too much about the things going on in our world right now with um, um, current events and, you know, education and health and all these kind of things. But when was the last time that I brought that all to Christ, to my king, and just really called out to help for him, uh, help from him for this? Um, so, yeah, so I think when reading Royal Psalms, it's important to respond to his sovereignty and to celebrate our future through hope. Um, so, before I pass the time back to Simon, I might leave you with some questions. Um, what do I know about the sovereign God? How am I submitting to his rule? And, you know, do these words make me uncomfortable? Submit and rule. Submit and rule. Do they make me uncomfortable to be ruled? And as part of submitting, who is God asking me to, to pray for? What steps is he wanting me to take with those around me? And, and you know, following my king. And um, with how, and with submitting, how, how does that affect how I serve in church, how I obey the sovereign king, how do I interact with and serve others, show love to believers and non-believers? And what am I hoping for? You know, God's sovereignty should evoke hope in us, hope for a good future. And um, yeah, I might just leave you with um, verse 12 again, which says, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Yeah. Thanks.